You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to us. And when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. So today's Bible reading will be taken from the book of Mark, uh, chapter 12, verses 28 to 44. One of the scribes approached. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him and to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God, and no one dared to question him any longer. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he asked, How can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself says by the Holy Spirit, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? And the large crowd was listening to him with delight. He also said in his teaching, Beware the scribes who want to go around in long robes and who want meetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. These will receive harsher judgment. Sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others, for they all gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Well, friends, let's pray. Lord, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your word this morning. Soften our hearts that we might receive that word. Transform our wills that we we might be people who do your word. Loose our tongues that we might proclaim that same word. And we ask this for the glory of your Son in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder if you have played that game where you imagine that your dwelling place your unit, your house, your whatever it is you live in, uh, is on fire. And you have limited time. You must make choices. 
Um, you must choose between the things that you consider important in your life and those that don't. Uh, you know the things that I mean. Um, the things that for one reason or another are so important for you or to you. It might be that favourite book. It might be the dog, the cat, the husband, the wife, the kids, especially those that can't walk yet and need your help to get out. Uh, the, the others are further down the list. But nevertheless, what other things would you want to take? The kids that can't walk yet, that would be very important, wouldn't it? The other books further down the list that if you could, you would take. Those things that you cherish that others don't understand. Uh, or perhaps that secret store of passwords that hold access to life's secrets for you now in digital form. The wallet, the purse, the computer, the laptop, the wristwatch that your grandfather gave you, a stack of letters from someone you love dearly, and so on and so forth. As the fire takes over and you watch on, you recognise, though, that something critical has happened just now. You've discovered that there are some things in life that are more valuable than others. And that you didn't quite know until you were put in this crisis situation. On the scale of values, they are things that you have that are not the ordinary, necessarily, the bulky, the expensive, but they're matters that matter for you. They are part of your life. They sew your life together. You can't live without them to some extent. You see, it is sometimes these things that are part of your makeup rather than the stuff on your shelves, really. They are part of who you are. You've discovered those things that truly make up where your priorities and heart lie. And I want you to keep that in mind today. With that in mind, I want you to look at our passage that we're going to look at, that we've just had read to us. Open your Bibles, physical or digital, which, whatever it is, and look with me at Mark 10 and the following chapters. So have your Bibles open. Mark describes Jesus speaking. And it seems... That as Jesus speaks, he has been confronted by the whole breadth and depth, in one sense, of Jewish law and wonders what is most important uh, or worthwhile, if you like. What really matters? In a crisis, where should you go in the Bible to orient yourself? What should you inscribe in your memory and your life? What should you teach your children to say before they go to bed? Which one should you store in your memory so that they might grasp it in a time or a moment of crisis? For my generation, it was always the Lord's Prayer. And on top of that, by focusing down like this, what are you saying about the other things that you don't focus on as much? That's the background for our passage today. Please keep that in mind. That will help us understand what is going on here. So let's turn to our passage for today, Mark 12. And you see, at our section today, we see Jesus at the temple. That is, at the religious centre of all of Israel. The chief focus of religion for many Jewish people of those particular days. And when he's asked to focus on what to store away to be remembered, that thing that one must not do without, he chooses one of the versions of an ancient but central 
Jewish prayer focus. It's called the Shema. It's about how you might honour and grow in your relationship with God. And the striking thing is that it is not, it is not about sacrifices at temples. No. It's about daily life before God. It's about listening to God. It's about responding to God it's, it, it, and responding to God in faith and in obedience and in love. As verse 33 says, have a look at it. It's all about loving God with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength and loving your neighbour as yourself. That beats all burnt offerings. It beats all sacrifices you might offer. And that is what God wants. That is what God is seeking. So with that reflection and background in mind, let's explore that passage for today with that in mind. There are two major discourses in our section for today. It's not very long, so I've been given lots of time. I'm not going to use most of it because I think what can be said can be said within a shorter time. There are two major discourses. The first is from Mark 12, verse 28 through to verse 34. And the second is from verse 35 through to verse 44. And I think we can work at it together and work it through quite well. With that background laid, let's focus on our first passage today, 28 to 34. Have your Bibles open, focus on it, look what happens. In verse 28, a scribe approaches Jesus and hears the focus of the debate. He hears... And he sees Jesus answering. And he thinks well of what he observes. That's verse 28. So he puts his own question forward in the very same verse. He asks, so, which commandment is the most important? And as we've seen in verses 28 to 30, 29 to 30, Jesus is categorical. Can you hear him? See him. He says this, listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's number one. The second one, then he goes on to speak of the second important commandment. The second is love your neighbour as yourself. Now most of you will know those verses. Why? Because of this discussion at this time, at this place. Then he lumps them together, though, and he says, there is no other commandment greater than these. No other commandment greater than these. Can you hear and see what Jesus is saying? It's profound. And, and what's more, it strikes at the very heart of the place he's at. At the very heart of what the temple was and meant. If people loved keeping the commandments, there would be no need for a temple. Can you understand that? If they did it, they wouldn't need to go and confess their sins. But they do. If people lived keeping these commandments, there'd be no need for a temple at all. The heart of what God wants done in his world and the endless quest of forgiveness and the error of failing would be gone. God would be loved. People would be loved. 
hearts and lives would be transformed as God wants them to be transformed. The questioning scribe, he he recognises this. Look at what he says, verses 32 and 33. He says, you're right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one and there's none other beside him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself is far more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, friends, I wonder if you can see what's going on here because when you think about it, it is profound. Can you see how profound it is? Here they are standing in the very place of sacrifice in Israel. Standing in the midst of it, declaring that the heart of the matter isn't found in that temple. No. No, it's found in the human heart. That's where the problem is. That's where things need to be straightened out. And we know, don't we, that through the person and work of Jesus, God would enable people to worship him and love him in a new way. The scribe recognises that as a possibility and as a promise. And friends, we're so used to this passage, we don't see it. But it's there and it is so So, so true. The scribe recognises the possibility and the promise. And the Apostle Paul and us Christians know it for sure, don't we? You see, we don't visit the temple except to see it as a historical artefact. Why? Because the thing that that it was set up to accomplish has been accomplished on a cross. Because of Jesus, people can have renewed hearts and minds and lives. Because of what he does on the cross, sin would be forgiven. Grace and mercy and forgiveness would reign. And Jesus commends the scribe in verse 34. He said to him, you're not far from the kingdom, from the kingdom of God. In other words, You have grasped the reality of the promise and all that I say and all that I'm about. You don't need this temple for you understand. Now let's move to our last section for today. So that's the first section done. Second section. Look at verses 35 to 44. This discourse has two parts to it. First part is found in a riddle in verses 35 following. Okay, the riddle is dense and difficult. No one seems to be able to solve it. But in the end, it appears that uh, both belong together. So let's take a look at the riddle first. Okay, can you see it there? The riddle is a riddle about the Messiah, verse 35. Jesus asks this question in verse 35 as he teaches in the temple complex. He says, how can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David. Because David himself says in the Holy Spirit, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies under your feet. I put your enemies under your feet. Now, we know, don't we, that the thoughts about Jesus, the Messiah, have been hanging around Jesus since the very time he appeared. People have been speculating, could could this be he? 
Mark has dipped into some of those ideas and questions, particularly since chapter 8 of Mark's Gospel. However, here we hear Jesus himself raising the issue, verse 35. Perhaps the issue had hung around since people raised the question of just who he thought he was in the earlier chapter where the answer appears to be the Messiah who has authority over the temple. So that's, those were the common views about Messiah, Messiahship in these days. Many of the questions hung around various key scriptures which I'm going to introduce you to soon, such as Psalm 2, great psalm about the Messiah and about humans and so on, uh, Psalm 89, 2 Samuel 7 and the Davidic kingship. Did, were they somehow glimpses? And Jesus doesn't dispute any of them, but he adds some things and then he does something very, very striking. Apparently tapping into a great and important psalm, Psalm 110, he goes where others did not go. Look at verses 35 to 37 in our passage. Okay, have your, have your Bibles open, look at it, or on the screen if it's there. First, he raises the question. In verse 35, he says, Look, how can the scribes say the Messiah is the son of David? How can the scribes say the Messiah is the son of David? How does that work? Second thing that Jesus does is he does what most people would do in the first century. He assumes that the psalm is written by David himself. Okay, now take that on board. The psalm is written by David himself and that David refers to someone that he calls my Lord. Okay, written by David refers to someone that David calls my Lord. In other words, David is referring to someone greater than himself. Does that make sense? He says of David's Lord, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I'll put your enemies under your feet. So the question is, who then is this Lord that is greater than David? Who is the one David calls my Lord? It mustn't be someone, it must be someone not junior to David, one would expect. No, it must be someone greater than David. The question is, then who is it? Who is it? And when you read the psalm closer, the dawn just suddenly begins to break open. If you read it closely, he appears to be speaking of someone, perhaps a Messiah, who is a descendant of David, but who is greater than David. Someone that David will turn around to and say, Lord, David, declaring this one to be Lord. Great David's greater son, in other words. Great David's greater son. But there's more. Even though Mark does not refer to the rest of the psalm, a knowledgeable Jew, Jewish reader or hearer would know that the psalm goes on to speak of this coming king as priest as a priest however then it stretches the language even more where the priest king will have authority over the temple not only that he can therefore declare authority over it even to the extent of declaring judgment on it like a prophet he's prophet and priest that all means that the language has shifted. Can you hear this? And it blows your mind when you start thinking about it. I know I've spent a week trying to work this out. 
blows your mind a prophet who has authority over the temple, such authority that this person can pronounce judgment on the temple. This is a prophet who is also a king with authority over the temple. So a prophet, a priest, a king, and what a king. For he arrives, great David's greater son. Great David's greater son who will give up, yield his life rather than wield the sword. But now I want you to notice something very special. Take a look at Mark 12, 35 to 44. Skim down the first two paragraphs to verses 38 to 40. The scribes, with their love of long robes and being greeted in the marketplace, the scribes that have their best seats in the synagogues, where you can see them, the scribes who devour widows' houses, according to this passage, and for a pretense make long prayers. The scribes facing greater condemnation. And the second paragraph, verses 41 to 44, have a look at it, changes focus. Here are normal people putting money into an offering box. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible s switch. Scribes and then ordinary people putting money into a box. The rich are putting in large amounts, verse 41. There's another person to take note of. Who is she? A poor widow. This poor widow, she puts two small copper coins worth virtually nothing. And Jesus says that while the rich give great gifts, this woman gives something more valuable than any of them. What does she give? In these two copper coins, she gives all that she has to live on. Can you hear what he's saying? This is, this, this, is, this is not the world of 21st century Australia. This is where if you did not have the money, there was no food on the table. It may have just kept her alive for this particular day. And so this woman presents it. And she prepares us for Jesus in so many ways. For Jesus will do something similar, won't he? Think about what he does. He will give himself wholly to God and God's purposes. He too will give all that he has, all that he is on the cross. And so by the end of the chapter, we see Jesus facing something striking. You see, he's spoken boldly, he's spoken categorically, and his clear and categorical speaking will cost him. What he has just done in the temple will cost him, along with other things before it. And what will it cost him? It will cost him his life. And that is a sacrifice to be looked forward to. It's a sacrifice that is beyond all others. A sacrifice that is more than the combinations of the gifts together that have been given to the temple treasury. Sacrifice to end all sacrifices. In other words, everything that's been put in that particular box or whatever, through all of history will be outdone by one event. Like the widow's gift. 
He gives everything. The widow's gift was something significant, worthy of great esteem. The widow's gift is, I think, a glimpse of a great treasure that will come in Jesus. The gift of Jesus. The gift of himself. The gift of his own life on the cross. The gift of death that is so great it will give others life. Friends, can you see it? This is a saviour to turn to. This is a saviour to trust. And you don't need temples any longer. For you have him if you believe in him. What a salvation won by his overwhelming generosity and sacrifice. What a Lord to serve. What a man to imitate. If you do not know this man here today, if you don't know this Saviour, he's a man you need to get to know. For he is the answer to the greatest problem this world faces. So let's pray and thank God for his amazing gift. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the debates we see and hear of in this passage. And with your son, Father, we thank you for this widow's gift, a glimpse of the great treasure that will come in Jesus, a type of his own sacrifice. Father, thank you that we have such a great saviour to turn to, to trust in, and thank you for his salvation won by overwhelming generosity. Father, please help us to live in the light of what we've learnt. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.